And I suppose it was that thinking that drove us a few years ago now to start thinking about how can we actually embed sustainability into the work we're doing with our clients. And as a result of that, we actually set a target around helping our clients save tons of carbon, recognizing that from a materiality perspective, that's the biggest opportunity, if you like, in in absolute sums of, of carbon. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is the Climate 21 podcast, the number one podcast showcasing best practices in climate emissions reductions. And I'm your host, Global Vice President for SAP, Tom Raftery. Climate 21 is the name of an initiative by SAP to allow our customers calculate, report and reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. In this Climate 21 podcast, I will showcase best practices and thought leadership by SAP, by our customers, by our partners and by our competitors if they're game, in climate emissions reductions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice to be sure you don't miss any episodes. Hi everyone, welcome to the Climate 21 podcast. My name is Tom Raftery with SAP and with me on the podcast today I have my special guest James. James, would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Tom. So, hi, everyone. My name is James Ferry. I lead the environmental sustainability agenda for Capgemini. Uh, For those who may not have come across us before, we are about 300,000 people across 50 countries providing a range of management consulting, IT services and engineering services for our clients. Okay, And what has that got to do with sustainability? I mean, we're on the Climate 21 podcast where we talk about climate typically. We try and highlight successful climate emissions reduction stories and strategies. How are Capgemini helping there? So I suppose there's, there's two dimensions to that, Tom. I mean, there's a, uh, there's a sort of responsible business uh, dimension to that. You know, as, as a large organization, we all have responsibilities to do the right things in terms of addressing challenges such as climate change, um, social issues and so on and so on. Um, and also recognizing that you know, the nature of our business, um, working with our clients day in, day, day out on their transformation problems, there's a huge opportunity to, to work with clients with their sustainability challenges. Okay. So, I mean, we have a very similar attitude in SAP because, you know, uh, our carbon footprint is in the scheme of things negligible we're a company of a hundred thousand people and our carbon footprint is around i I won't give last year's figure because it's well i will it's 150,000 tons last year but that's not that's not normal (laughs) last year wasn't normal 2020 was far from normal previous years it was around the 300,000 mark and dropping 10 to 15 percent year on year Uh, so you know in the scheme of things pretty small compared to as you alluded to compared to some of our customers so yes it's important that we are an exemplar but we are also hoping to be or we we think we are an enabler for our customers to reduce their emissions and i think that's what you meant when you said that as well is is that correct absolutely i mean it's a, a similar story i mean depending what we include and what we exclude uh, before covid we were around about half a million tons a year um clearly last year was was 70 75% down on that figure um but but even that even half a million tons a year you know that's probably you know, looking at some of our manufacturing or some of our clients, you know, you're talking about clients with carbon footprints 100, 150, maybe even 200 times that. Yeah. And I suppose it was that thinking that drove us you know, a few years ago now to start thinking about how can we actually embed sustainability into the work we're doing with our clients? 
And as a result of that, we actually set a target around helping our clients save tons of carbon, recognizing that you know, from a materiality perspective, that's the biggest opportunity, if you like, in, in absolute sums of, of carbon. But to build on what you said, Tom, you know, recognizing that you know, we still have a responsibility as a, as a business, you know, half a million tons is still a not, you know, is a significant amount. Mm-hmm. And then we have a, um, an obligation and a responsibility to, to drive that down. And we, like yourselves, we've been driving that down um, year on year through, you know, a combination of efficiency in data centers, efficiency in offices, and a, and a very big focus on, you know, business travel and collaboration. Okay. And can you talk to some of the strategies you're working on with clients to help them reduce their emissions? Sure. So again, from, from our perspective, I mean, as I sort of alluded before, um, I sometimes sort of talk about climate change as just another change problem, but just with very much inverted commas there. Mm. You know, it's probably the biggest change problem that we have ever seen in terms of the modern era of, of, of humanity. And therefore, you know, my, my strong conviction um, and our strong conviction is, you know, over the next 10, 15, 20 years, Virtually every business on the planet is going to have to radically redesign itself. Now, if you look at the scale of the challenge of the Paris Agreement, that sort of halving um, carbon footprints globally across the next 10 years and then taking that down to a net zero business, a net zero position globally by mid-century, that is enormous, an enormous level of change. In fact, just before the last COP, um, COP25 in Madrid, we published a, a report called the Sustainable Business Revolution. And I think, you know, that word revolution is quite uh, is quite pivotal, sure. just recognizing that, you know, incremental change is not going to get it's not going to get us where we where we need to be. So, so with that in mind, what we've uh, what we've done is we've looked and we've built a, a sustainability framework, which is all about starting to um, identify touch points for working with clients. Um, our first um, our first specific offer around sustainable uh, sustainability around sustainable IT was launched just before the, um, the before the summer break. Um, recently, a couple of weeks ago, we launched our net zero strategy offer, and there's a series of offers coming out over the next couple of months. And this is recognizing, you know, it's that it's that point which says, how do you apply um, that transformation, that transformation insight, and that transformation delivery to to our clients' organisations? And in a sense. You can think about it in different levels. And one of the ways we often talk to our clients is that it is at different levels of the business. Mm-hmm. So at the heart, you might say, how can we look at the, the IT function of a client? You know, what can you do in terms of rationalizing that IT, reducing that footprint? Could be virtualization, could be migration of services to the cloud. There's a whole range of things that you can do in that space. Um, important um, but for most organizations actually that's probably the starting point that's probably the smallest impact the far larger impact comes when you say how can i apply it to your wider operations how can we use it to actually drive up the efficiency of your logistics drive down the amount of energy you're using in your in your operations so that's sort of the next layer that sustainable operations layer and then the final layer is a is a is, is the is the next layer out, which is almost the customer of the customer. So how can you apply technology services for a client to help them help their clients make sustainable decisions? And then you can start to see the amplification, especially in some of our business to consumer um, clients, where they may have 
potentially millions or tens of millions of, of, of customers if they can all make a, a difference which is driving down carbon. So then you have an ever-increasing um, ability to drive a, a wider impact. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. One of the things that uh, I've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times is the fact that the EU passed a law in June of this year mandating all 27 countries to reduce their emissions 55% by 2030. And there's talks of putting a carbon border tax in place as well. And I mean, to give context to that kind of number, because in abstract, it's very hard to know what 55% means. Uh, it's against our 1990 baseline. And so far, we've reduced it about 24%, which means in the next eight years, because it's now just a little over eight years to 2030, we've got to reduce it another 31%. That's enormous. I mean, I don't know how we would do it. Well, I, I can put out some some ideas probably, but, you know, I don't think people are aware of the scale of the challenge that that presents. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, I think the, the level of, uh, of literacy in terms of, uh, in terms of carbon, in terms of sustainability is quite low. I was talking to uh, one European environment, an ex-European environment minister a couple of years ago, and they were talking about how they'd been trying to engage their population on sustainability. And in the end, they decided that, it would be far more effective to talk about pollution and the impact that pollution has on people's health because you can, you know, you can look out the window in, on a summer's day and see the, the smog, yeah. whereas actually it's far harder to start a conversation around, um, around carbon. In fact, um, one of the things we're doing at Capgemini at the moment is we have a, a global engagement campaign running in the, in the run-up to the, the COP26 conference coming up um, called Climate Circles. And the idea is we're getting um, our leaders together with groups of about 10 people to spend an hour, to take an hour out of their day and have a conversation about climate change. And we've effectively got a couple of topics. One is about how do you, how, you know, how are we going to make this roadmap to net zero? What does net zero really mean? And how, how can we make that transformation? And the second circle is about innovation and technology and how can we apply that to solving sustainability challenges? And I think, you know, the real driver there is just getting more and more people talking about climate change, trying to engage, trying to understand, because I think that's the first, you know, that's that's the starting point. And the more people who understand the size of the challenge, then potentially the more uh, acceptance we're going to have about the transformation journey that we all need to go on. What are some of the best practices that you've seen put forward by some of your clients? So I think there's a range of uh, of best practices that we see. Um, interestingly, if I talk about something which is sort of to start with, to some, something which is uh, very, you know, I guess, close to the heart of our industry, the professional services industry, you know, the biggest impact of, of Capgemini's and I believe SAP's footprint prior to COVID was, was business travel. Mm -hmm. 
and um, you know it's 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 really interesting in terms of you know having been engaging with our clients on travel for a number of years. Now this all sits in a context where you know very few of us have been able to travel for the last eighteen months, and so therefore um, we 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 haven't seen the, the travel that we have previously. But it was it was really interesting having built a number of of calculators and dashboards where we can actually show our clients the carbon associated with delivering their projects. Right. And most of our you know, most of our top tier clients have their own carbon reduction, their own net zero journeys that they're on. And therefore, actually being able to have that conversation and say, do you know what the typical way we would deliver this project with the typical you know, consultant travel, which would be involved, would be X hundred tons. And, you know, here's an alternative. Here's a, you know, a different delivery model. And, that, you know, even before COVID, there were quite a number of our clients who were saying, actually, we get that. Let's look at how we can redesign the delivery model. You know, do we need everybody on site every day? No, we don't. Um, recognizing that there are still certain meetings, certain situations where that face-to-face -face interaction is, is still needed. It's still very valid. Um, and I think for, for me and, and a lot of the delivery teams, the transition that we have coming out of COVID is going to be quite fundamental. Um, you know, we've, we've effectively been delivering with 90 plus percent less travel over the last 18 months. A lot has been achieved, but we do recognize that uh, that travel will start to, to go up and probably is starting to go up already. Mm. But it's, it's getting the right balance so that we don't see it shoot back to the levels prior to, uh, prior to COVID. Yeah, yeah. And Something that's always intrigued me, and I don't know if there's any studies on this, and there probably should be given what's happened this last year and a half, but it's the whole working from home thing. And how how does that affect an organization's carbon footprint? Because, sure, employees are not commuting to the office every day, so you've reduced that carbon footprint. But you've got to think, if everyone is working from their own individual buildings, their own homes, the carbon footprint associated with that has to be higher than if they were all in a single office block. You're spot on, and we've been doing some research around that um, over, the, um, over the past um, four or five months. And one of the things we did last year when we, when we set our new ambitions as, as, a, as a business was to increase the scope of what we were including within our carbon footprint. So we've brought commuting um, within the scope of, of our carbon targets, and we're looking at making working at home effectively a component of commuting. Um, so, um, and of course, it's 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 harder in lots of different ways. Business travel is 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 trackable. I mean, it is not without its complexities. Yeah. And you know, for us, we were probably pulling together ten million data items a year when you consider every flight, every train journey, every car journey, every hotel night, and so on. But typically, people pay for that, and they want to claim it back. So you have a source of data, whether it's your travel agent, or whether it's your expenses system, you have a source of that data. In virtually all countries, people don't get paid to commute. In fact, earlier this year, we ran a, a commuting survey. Um, over 40,000 people globally completed our commuting survey, survey, giving us a snapshot of how they were commuting at the moment, but before COVID. Um, so there's, there's the first challenge is around data. Um, the second challenge is, 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 a lot, is a very practical challenge as well in terms of how do you work out the impact of somebody at home? So if you, you know, if I take a couple of extremes, if you, if you're in, if you live in a, a massive old house on your own mm -hmm. and you have inefficient heating, then clearly 
you will be more, you know, assuming you live relatively close to the office, it's probably going to be more effective for you to be in the office using a sort of central heating system for a thousand people. Yeah. Equally, if you're in a if you're in a modern house, you know, a long way from the office, um, using minimal heating, then you're probably better off working at home. And then even when you've got somebody working at home, you know, whether they've got the the, the heating, and we think about that from, from a European perspective, but in some parts of the world, it's it's air conditioning rather than heating driving the, the the power draw. Then it comes down to well, how's that house being used? I mean, if you're living with, you know, if you've got an extended family and you're living with elderly relatives, that heating or air conditioning may be running anyway. Mm-hmm. So we're currently working through some. There's one or two methodologies emerging out there, and we're adapting those. Uh, to try and get to the position where we can come up with sort of a, an authentic, credible view of, of working at home. I'm hoping in the next couple of months we might actually have some numbers we can, um, we can publish. But it is looking at the moment that individuals working at home has a, mod- a modest reduction effect in carbon okay. when taken in the round, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. I mean, it, it has to be massively complicated. I mean, to your point, I'm officially uh, working out of the SAP Madrid office, but I live in Seville, uh, which is 530 kilometers from the office. And my my home, uh, I have a five kilowatt solar array on the roof. And so uh, it, it's far more carbon light, I guess is probably the expression, uh, for me to not commute that 530 kilometers and work from home using the solar power on the roof. But yeah, no, it's, 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 it's very complex because you've got that whole spectrum that you talked about there. Yeah, no, I totally get it. How... Looking looking ahead, I mean, we've we've COP twenty six coming up uh, in a couple of weeks now. How how are Cap Gemini approaching COP twenty six? Are you taking a position? Are you attending? What's what are you what are you guys doing around that? So yeah, as you as you say, COP twenty six is now very close on the horizon. Um, in terms of our involvement, we are uh, once again sponsoring the World Climate Summit, which is one of the um, the key. Uh, business conferences that are running in Glasgow alongside the, the government negotiations, and we feel it's 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 important to be doing so. It's important to be you know pushing that debate forward in terms of uh, uh, the role of business. I think it's encouraging that as we look back over the last few COPs, uh, business has been more and more represented. And I think that's critical because when you just look at the raw data, I mean, I think if I remember rightly, you know, the largest hundred organisations on the planet, largest hundred companies. Are accounting for about seventy percent of global emissions. Mm. Um, so, I think the other thing which um, which we just need to recognise with the COP is, you know, just where we are in the journey. I mean, if you look at the Paris Agreement, you look at that, you know, that that pathway to to mid century. Essentially, the requirement is a seven point six percent reduction in carbon year on year from twenty twenty through to twenty thirty. And if we just take stock of where we are in that journey, well, last year, with with all of the COVID lockdowns, with all of the disruption that COVID caused globally, we saw carbon emissions dip probably around about 7%. So, you know, little tick in the box, we almost achieved our first year carbon uh, reduction because of COVID. Now, clearly, COVID was a devastating way to do that. And nobody would have said that was a good way to to drive down down global carbon emissions. But it does give a sense of the scale of the challenge. Now, we haven't got the, you know, we won't have the exact figures for a while yet, but it does look like that in 2021, we're going to see about a 5% upturn in, in carbon as we've started to see the, the economy gradually sort of unlocking. So if you 
if you then sort of add the maths up and you say, well, where should have we been at the end of this year? We should have been somewhere around 15% down. And where will we end up? Well, we'll probably end up about 2% down. So effectively, we're two years into the 10-year journey, and we're now set 13, 13% behind the, uh, the Paris trajectory. So I think it's you know, just recognizing the scale of that challenge you know, puts the focus on, on you know, the whole uh, COP at Glasgow and the real need for you know, um, really solid outcomes, really solid agreements, uh, if we are going to, you know, if we are going to make a, uh, have a serious chance of, of getting those types of cuts. And I think from my perspective, you know, I always think that, you know, business is fantastic at solving problems creatively. Mm -hmm. the, the absolutely critical bit is the frame, the rules of the game have to be set for businesses. And, and it feels to me that what needs to come out of COP is, is very much that framework from government setting the boundaries for which businesses to operate within and then let businesses deliver those, you know, deliver that, deliver that transformation and that transition. Are you optimistic for it? Yeah, I think you have to remain hopefully optimistic that we'll get to the, the outcome we need. Um, you know, clearly the, the scale of the challenge is, is, is enormous. Uh, but the last 18 months have been quite remarkable. I mean, I think, you know, come March last year, when, when we were just entering into all the lockdowns and everybody had been sent to work at home, and I'm sure I wasn't alone in the sustainability community going, well, what's going to happen next? Is that going to knock sustainability off the agenda? And, and what's been really encouraging over the last 12 months or so is absolutely COVID has almost been a wake up call for the need for organisations to be sustainable. Um, and just looking at you know, the number of organisations that have raised their ambitions over the last 12 months, mm. you know, the number of new commitments, you know, the number of companies that have signed up to one and a half degree um, carbon reduction pathways. Um, you've, you've got to be optimistic that, you know, business is, is genuinely getting behind, you know, some of these core challenges. So where to post-COP? Where to post-COP? Well, from a, from a business perspective, you know, we have our, our, our net zero ambitions as an organisation. We have a, a clear roadmap for the next five to 10 years in terms of driving down our um, emissions through energy and through travel. Um, and at the same time, we have a clear roadmap in terms of fully integrating sustainability into the work that we're doing with our clients. So I think from, from, from my perspective, you know, it's, it's, it's full speed ahead in terms of continuing the journey that we've been on as a business for, uh, well, I've been, I've been helping drive the agenda now for about 15 years. So it's, it's really push, continuing to push that agenda forward, continuing with, to deliver on the programs that we already have in place. But I also think from a, from a sustainability practitioner perspective, you know, the, the other challenge we always have is keeping an eye on the road 18 months ahead and continuing to try to anticipate where, you know, where the requirements will be going, where the expectations of stakeholders will be going, where potentially some of the um, planetary limits will be, uh, will be pushing us in, in, in 12 to 18 months' time. So, so for me, that's, the, that's very much the agenda um, alongside you know, capitalising on all of the focus around COP26, capitalising on the fact that, you know, um, climate and carbon is becoming a much more uh, spoken about agenda item. Um, so that's, for, for me, if you like, that's the next few months of the challenge. So, James, what, what led you into sustainability? Why is sustainability important to you? What was your journey? Yeah, so I probably had a, a realisation, probably somewhere around 2005, 2006, I started reading around some of the mega trends that are going on 
from a global perspective. So whether that's things like you know global demographics or resource, you know, global resources or water or or in the time and then sort of the uh, the, the uh, literature around climate change, and I very quickly came to the conclusion that actually um, sustainability is ultimately going to completely change the business landscape, and that's what that's what really prompted me to um, uh, first of all engage with the executive at Capgemini and start having conversations and start building a building a, an executive coalition behind the need to respond to uh, sustainability and climate change. Incidentally, it also led me to uh, really question the way sustainability was being taught in business schools, which also took me down a parallel track where I actually ended up getting a a doctorate with Henley Business School looking at the, if you like, the business case for sustainability. And and that enabled me to continue engaging with MBA students over the last decade, really challenging them on their journey, because ultimately sustainability will impact them and their journeys over the next 20 years quite profoundly. Of course, yeah. Yeah, very good. James, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question that I have not asked you that you wish I had or any topic we've not addressed that you think it's important for people to think about? No, I think, I mean, I think we've, we've, we've covered most things. I mean, I think the probably the, most, probably the critical thing which is front of mind at the moment is, is just recognising the scale of the challenge. Um, and I think also recognising that... Um, you know, from a technology perspective, the technology industry is in a, is in a, is in a bit of a unique position. We we have a sort of a hidden secret in terms of just how much energy we use. I mean, I think the if we were a, if, if if the tech sector was a was a country, we'd be the third largest user in terms of electricity. So I think yeah, there's a recognition that just how much energy is going into tech, but also recognizing just the opportunities that come from technology in terms of making the rest of the system that much more efficient. If there's, if there's one thing that perhaps gives me um, quite a lot of hope is, is just how inefficient the system is at the moment. Um, <laughs> and recognising, you know, when you, when you actually um, unpack what you're trying to do, you often find that the, the wastage level is, is not 5 or 10%, but the wastage level is 60 or 70%. And therefore, that opportunity for you know tenfold step change efficiency is 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 possible and it is real. So I think you know probably you know what's been interesting in you know what's what's really interesting is when you look at the role of technology, um, and and clearly technology in itself isn't going to be the silver bullet out of climate change. We absolutely need to address the you know the, the overall holistic challenges. But I think it's a it's a really critical time for the for the tech sector. Um, to really step up, acknowledge its responsibility and, and deliver the solutions that we that we need. Very good. Very good. James, that's been really interesting. If people wish to know more about yourself or about Capgemini or any of the topics we discussed in the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? So, so two things for Capgemini, just Google Capgemini sustainability, take a look at our sustainability reports or, or the work we're doing with clients. And in terms of myself, probably easiest just to uh, uh, track me down on LinkedIn, James Roby. Cool. I'll have a link to your, your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can find you easily there. Great. James, it's been fantastic. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Tom. Okay, we've come to the end of the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to know more about Climate 21, feel free to drop me an email to tom.raftery at sap.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. 
If you liked the show, please don't forget to subscribe to it in your podcast application of choice to get new episodes as soon as they're published. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really does help new people to find the show. Thanks. Catch you all next time.